Tell us a little bit about what you saw and, and, and being able to relay that message to Cora when you watched Kimbrell pitch and, and kind of help out so he wasn't uh, tipping his pitches. So tipping pitches, we hear about it all the time. People at home understand what tipping pitches is all about. It's amazing. Man. And that's remarkable. Alex, I'm so excited to talk to you this week because we have so much to get to. So much has happened in the last week of baseball. You know, when we were sitting down to pre-plan for this show, we were getting excited. A lot of stuff to discuss. But I want to no, start. There's like, there's like real news. Legit there baseball is, news. There Wall, is Wall Street news. Wall Street news. We got, you know, we'll get Ross Stripling on the pod soon. Hopefully he's not responding to our DMs. But, you, you know. Took, you took my joke. You took my joke, man. Come on. <laughs> what is that all about? No, actually, what I wanted to start with this week was the very important question of would it be better for the world if Andrew Yang was a Yankees or a Mets fan? He tweeted last week, at least I'm not a Red Sox fan. Hashtag let's go Mets. And I'm still grappling with that as a fan of the Mets here. So we need to start with the most important question. Should Andrew Yang become a Yankees fan instead? <laughs> My question is like, does, does Andrew Yang really watch baseball? Or does he think that he's currying favor with real New Yorkers by not right, just jumping exactly. on the Yankees fan bandwagon? Because for those of you who don't know, Andrew Yang is running to be the mayor of New York City. Again, this those of is you a who guy don't know, probably a lot of people because it's not really that big exactly. news. Once he, the, if if you're wondering, yes, this is the Andrew Yang whose biggest achievement is um, losing a presidential primary. Body. So what? What you may ask qualifies him to be mayor of new york and to that i respond well i mean mets fan he's a, he's a mets fan yes first steve cohen now andrew yang i mean i don't know what to make of this we're we have so many celebrity fans coming into our world it is really interesting that the the mets are kind of the the hot the team in, right the now the in vogue team yeah. you know i mean when when Bill de Blasio came out and had his press conference with Steve Cohen saying that they were going to use city field as a, as a vaccination site, he was, he was decked head to toe in Mets gear. Like so weird, so bizarre again, pretending that he didn't try and like, you know, put up a weak fight to stop the sale to Steve Cohen. But you know, it's neither here nor there. That was a fun little two weeks there where people that were was, like, maybe, yeah. maybe Bill de Blasio will block the sale to Steve Cohen because Steve yeah. Cohen is a notorious financial criminal. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think it was that Bill de Blasio had moral qualms about Steve Cohen buying the Mets? Or was it just like he saw two people making a deal and he, he didn't like that he wasn't asked to sit at the table? I think the second one. Yeah. yeah. You nailed it right there at the end there. He didn't get asked to sit at the table. I think it was more so like, he wants to find his way into any story possible, good or bad, clearly. Right. His tenure as New York City mayor has been, how many quotes can I get in the papers? <laughs> Not how many problems can I actually fix? Now we're just doing like local New York City politics talk. No, let's get it back Should to we Yang. Talk city, city let's council? take it back to the Yang gang, brother. No, no, I don't <laughs> want to talk about St Scott Stringer. <laughs> <laughs> no, Andrew Yang says that he's a Nets fan because he gave up on the Knicks. And now he says that he's a Mets fan. So what? Did he give up on the Yankees too? Did he give up on the Yankees? I listened to the last Yang pod for research for this joke. 
that yes. I'm making right now. The entire pod. Actually, I Jesus. listened to it because Kevin O'Connor was on it, and I wanted to hear what he had to say <laughs> about UBI. They talked about basketball the whole time. It was strange, but right, entertaining. Yeah. I mean, Did, I so tell I the do truth. S- tell us the truth, Yang. Were you a Yankees fan before this, and now you just want to jump on the Mets bandwagon because of Lindor? I need to know. I need to know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have pulled up a um, a video here uh, on YouTube. This is from uh, a year and a half ago of Andrew Yang playing baseball while on the campaign trail. Actually, it looks like he's just at a batting cage. Um, Hashtag Bernie did it first. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And wow, yeah, his his form, his swing, not good. Not good. Not good. So Andrew Yang. Are you going to break out the, uh, the Mookie Wilson jersey? Like, how long have you really been on board here? Can you be the mayor of New York if you can't hit a backdoor slider? These are the questions that Tipping Pitches is bringing to the political sphere. Absolutely. I think, like, Bill de Blasio actually strikes me as more of a pitcher, like a tall, lanky pitcher. Yeah. I suppose he could be, like, a first baseman, too. Unfortunately, I don't, when I don't he think went, he's got the bat to, to carry that position. During his time at NYU, the baseball team was defunct. It was only brought back <laughs> recently, so it's true. We'll, we'll we'll never know. We'll Al- never know. Although, when did when did Bill De Blasio go to NYU? Because the team last played in what, like seventy three or seventy four? Yeah. So, like, I don't know. I mean, I know Bill De Blasio isn't seventy years old. He's fifty nine. So he was only twelve in seventy three. So I don't think he was. Playing oh, I on. thought you were about to say he was the class of fifty nine. <laughs> And I'm like, what the? F- Maybe he is 70 years old. Sorry, Bill. You wear it well. <laughs> no, Bill de Blasio is not playing baseball at NYU. Uh, okay, well, should we get to the rest of the podcast, Alex? I don't know. I'm kind of feeling it. Should we talk UBI? Let's just go right in. I think uh, we've probably made UBI jokes on this podcast about Andrew Yang. Yeah. Here's the thing. Final thing on Yang. If he wants to admit that he was a Yankees fan who came onto the Mets bandwagon, in order for him to be accepted, he has to come on this show and tell his tale, tell the story of how he became a Mets fan. Because otherwise, guess what? He's not getting my vote. I don't even live in New York anymore, but he wouldn't get my vote. He's not getting your vote unless he comes on this here podcast yeah. and convinces that's, you. That's what it's going to take. And convinces just you that he's yeah. a real Mets fan, that he wants to talk about Michael Conforto's WOBA. Okay. I mean, it's and he wants it is to talk big. about whether or not Brandon Nimmo should play center field. You want to talk about Dom Smith's transition from first base to left field? Come on the show then. Then the Alex tipping, will vote for you. The tipping pitches We're selling endorsement. Votes here. Tipping pitches pack is is strong right now. You joke, but we, got, we, could we hold a lot votes. of sway. We could whip some votes. Absolutely. You know, honestly, yeah, we talk about getting Bernie on this show, but and and that'd be great, but we'd also agree with him on everything and yeah. like I think Yang would be fun because just like he comes from a different world, man. Yeah, you, you want know? to earn and that's, your real lefty bona fides? Come on this pod and talk about baseball. This is we're bridging the divide here on tipping pitches. That's what we are. Exactly, we're the Unity Podcast. All right, that's enough about Andrew Yang. We have some real baseball news to get to. A myriad of real baseball news, including an Arenado, a Nolan Arenado trade, in which he didn't end up on the New York Mets, unfortunately for me. Um, and also we're gonna have a conversation with. Mike Schubert of the Multitude Podcast Network, uh, Multitude Podcast Collective. He does a lot of stuff over there. He's a big Yankees fan as well. He's been a guest on this show before. He's going to come on and chat a little bit about the Yankees and a number of other things. So it's a great conversation with Mike. 
But before we get to all of that stuff, I am Bobby Wagner. I'm Alex Paisley. And you are listening to Tipping Pitches, the only place that Andrew Yang can earn his spot as mayor of New York City. Alex, we're going to talk about the big Arenado trade news. We're going to talk about it from a labor perspective, as we always do. We're going to talk about it from an owner's cheapness perspective. And we're going to talk about it from the perspective of me being very sad that he didn't actually get traded to the Mets because I, I tried really hard. But first, I want to announce a special segment, Alex. Should we go ahead and, I mean, break the news to the listeners? Because I think we should. Yeah, I think we should. I think we should let them know that we've made a pretty big change in our lives and the way that this podcast is being produced and released to the world. Um, yes. We made the move to, uh, to the old FM, baby. <laughs> and we, we picked ourselves up by our bootstraps, made the trek to Topeka, Kansas, and got our own, got our own radio show. Yes. And folks, we, we need you now. We need your help. If we're going to do sports radio, we need you to call in. You hate your owners. You hate how they're behaving. You hate that they traded away Nolan Arenado. You hate that they traded away Francisco Lindor. You hate that they're going to trade away Chris Bryant. Call in. And we really mean this. Okay, This is the debut of a new segment. Alex is fucking around. We're not moving to Topeka, Kansas. Rest assured, you will still get the podcast. I thought, (laughs) Bobby, I put a down payment down on a home. Real estate can only go up. That's what I hear. (laughs) better than putting it in the stock market or is it i don't know (laughs) um alex is kidding we're not moving to topeka however we did get a phone number for listeners to call so we want you to call in if you have complaints about your owner and the way that they're handling their franchise they're not spending enough they're donating to far-right political candidates they're laying people off in the middle of a pandemic whatever it might be or you just want to call and talk about your squad. It could be yeah, anything. It, it doesn't, doesn't have to know, be negative. Don't, we don't even, we spend so much time on here yelling about billionaires and, and their fraudulent ways. And we want to, we just want to give you the mic. You know, what's, what's on your chest on any given week? Whatever is weighing on you, we want you to get it off your chest and hit our line. So what we did is we set up a voicemail that you can actually call in and we will play the best voicemail of that week. And we will try to talk you through it uh, about what it feels like to be a very upset fan that week. So the number, and we're calling this segment open season. It's open season on the owners, Alex. Hell yes. (laughs) The number to call tipping pitches and have your voicemail played on the podcast. And we will debut this segment next week. It's 785-422-5881. That's 785. 422-5881. And if you're wondering, yes, that is a Topeka, Kansas area code. <laughs> okay, that's enough housekeeping. Um, I do hope people call it. And if you're listening to this podcast and you're like, eh, I don't like talking on the phone or I don't like calling or whatever, we will literally play your voicemail on the show and we will talk about how terrible Peter Angelos is or we will talk about how terrible um, the Monfort brothers are. It doesn't matter. Now, speaking of the Monfort brothers, let's talk about Nolan Arenado. Alex, do you want to give the deets of the trade really quickly? It's not, it's kind of complicated. We don't need to go super deep into it, but 
it's good to at least lay the groundwork of what actually happened. Nolan Arenado is on the St. Louis Cardinals now. It's true. Yes. And it's worth noting that I don't even think the trade is finalized yet. Um, we, we don't know what the Rockies are getting back in return. Um, besides the obvious um, huge catch, which is financial flexibility. Oh yeah, I and mean, that's it's in vogue these days. God, he's he's Everyone's, been on a lot of teams recently. He's been on so many teams. Um, yeah, MVP for sure. So yeah, the Colorado Rockies traded Nolan Arenado and his uh, should we say onerous contract um, underwater? Do people contract. know what onerous means? <laughs> God, onerous is like student loans are onerous on people's lives. They traded Arenado and somewhere in the vicinity of $50 million to the Cardinals uh, for a collection of prospects uh, yet to be announced. But, you know, probably not um, uh, the best guys that the Cardinals have to give up, given that um, the Rockies were pretty much going around to every team and begging them to take Nolan Arenado off their hands. Because why why would you want one of the best, best baseball players in the game? What's go ahead? The prospects were announced, actually, though. Uh, I thought it was still speculated on. I don't know if it's like solidified because the trade isn't, but it's Austin Gomber, John Torres, and Jake Woodford, and others. But those are the those are the highlight names, I believe. Oh, those and highlight names they are. <laughs> we don't talk about prospects here, but I, do, <laughs> you know, for the sake of accuracy, because we are journalists, hardcore journalists here at Tipping Pitches, um, hardcore journalists like the Athletics, Ken Rosenthal who, Alex, this is where I want to start, went on MLB Network right after the trade was broken to talk about said trade of Arenado. And while being interviewed about what was going back to the Rockies in exchange for the seventh best player by war in the last five years, who was Arenado. hitter, yeah. Yeah, okay. Seventh best position player. A guy who's won a gold glove in every single year that he's played in the majors, which is a fun and crazy stat. And I don't know why he would ever trade that that, that player away. Um, Ken Rosenthal was being interviewed and he the host on MLB Network asked why are the Rockies sending 50 million dollars and Rosenthal was basically like well that was you know to sweeten the deal for the Cardinals so that they would send back a couple prospects so that the Rockies could then in turn say to their fan base at least we didn't literally salary dump him at least we didn't just trade him for straight up nothing and I just it blows my mind that you could sign this guy to a contract just two years ago or three years ago or whatever it was. You could sign him to an extension. You could be the quote-unquote small market success story by actually getting your guy to stay, getting him to commit to stay on your team, bringing him back for a big contract, but one that he clearly earned based on all of his resume that we just said. And then you do everything in your power less than three seasons later to, to get him out the door and you're desperate to do it. Yeah. You're and absolutely very public desperate about, about how much you're trying to get rid of him too. Like yeah, the Rockies him were, openly were the- not quiet at all about how frustrated they were with their relationship with him all the way back to last September which is when I came on this show and I said, I'm shooting in the dark. I'm starting a conspiracy theory. And I think that now that the Mets have Steve Cohen money, they're going to trade for Arenado and they're going to absorb his contract. I thought it was more likely that they would just 
move around and pluck stars away from teams that didn't want to pay their big contracts. And obviously that worked in my favor for Lindor. I thought that it might work in my favor just on a hunch for Arenado. But aside from the fact that he's not on the Mets and he's on the awful, terrible, evil, (laughs) villainous Cardinals, (laughs) I just don't understand. This is like Manny Machado, except I don't know if Manny Machado would have stayed in Baltimore. So at least the Orioles could defend it when they traded him away. Arenado would have stayed there because he signed there. So then he has to stay. And the only reason that he was unhappy there is because after you signed him, you proceeded to do absolutely nothing. Right, exactly. Because you spent $60 million a year on a bullpen and then decided you didn't want to pay any more money for any other positions. And your team sucked. Your team sucked. This is the thing is like, okay, the Rockies, not good in the last year or two. But like, have a collection of very good players. Pitching, yeah, not exactly handled the best because you're playing cores and every pitcher gives up three or four home runs a game. But like their offense, pretty pretty stacked. You'd think that like they'd be able to parlay their way into a you know a wild card spot, or especially especially given that I mean, and we'll talk about this later, but that an expanded postseason is becoming more and more likely both next year and potentially just in years to come, right? Which benefits teams like the Rockies, who are maybe middle of the road, kind of middling, struggling with offense, struggling with defense, but might be able to luck their way into a playoff spot. And you do that with the kinds of stars they have, like Arenado and Trevor Story and Charlie Blackman. And now... Now, now it's all gone to shit because Arenado is the best player of those three and the most important player of those three. He's the guy hitting third. He's the guy playing third base. He's the guy that's always there. He played over 150 games in most of the seasons of his career. Now, last year, he had a down year. And so maybe that lowered his trade value a little bit. But I think most teams are smart enough to know it was uncommon for him to have as bad of a year as he did last year. You know, if you read the Ben Clemens write-up on fan graphs, which everybody should, he lays out a pretty convincing case that most of the weak contact that he had last year that was hard contact in previous years was not because he's falling off a cliff or not because he's lost a step necessarily, but because he was dealing with a left shoulder injury that he's talked about and he played through it because it was a short season and because he didn't want to lose an entire year of his career, I guess. I just, these are cornerstones, man. And like, it used to be the case that when you got a cornerstone, you might be cheap around the edges and you might not super duper spend around them. And you might, you know, you might not run your payroll up over $200 million, but at the very, very least, the lowest bar that you had to clear was keeping that guy around. And now it seems like they've just set the bar on fire. They don't care about that. They don't care about respecting the fans. This is so, so disrespectful to your fans. This is their guy. You know, this would be like if the Mets traded David Wright six years into his career. That's insane. It's insane. Yeah. It just doesn't... The, the Rockies were in the playoffs two years ago. In 2018, they pushed the, the Dodgers core. to game 163 to win exactly, the NL West. Exactly. You know, the thing yes. that the Dodgers have won 10 straight years, and we talk about them being a massive dynasty, the likes of which we don't know when they're ever going to lose control of that division, they almost did in 2018 because the Rockies were good. And so for them to just be like, two years later, two and a half years later, we're going to get rid of Arenado. I don't know. It's not quite as indefensible as the Mookie Betts trade, but 
it's nipping at it's nipping at the Mookie Betts trades heels. Yeah. Well, and and the Rockies, I think, have a really a much longer track record of making this sort of move where the the Red Sox trade with Mookie Betts was so out of the blue, um, given the Red Sox recent success, where the Rockies have like like it almost has this has felt like an inevitability now, like you said, for at least a year. And they did the same thing with Matt Holiday. Um, Troy Tulowitzki. Troy Tulowitzki. They have shown that as soon as their stars hit a certain age, a certain level of talent, they try and they either try and capitalize off that or they try and backpedal off of all the money they said they would be willing to pay them to stick around. And at that point, it's like, why did you even sign them to a long term contract? in the first place you know like how different are things now really than they were two three years ago i don't know i don't understand it but he's a perfect fit for the cardinals honestly they are exactly the the (laughs) hate to say it but like the right landing spot for them he's gonna fit there yeah cardinals are gonna be good again you know in breaking bad when jesse has the meltdown and he's like he He's yelling about Walter White and he's like, he can't keep getting away with this. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> That's me with the Cardinals. They just get Paul Goldschmidt for nothing. And then they just get Marcelo Zuna for nothing. And then they get Nolan Arenado for nothing. And it's like, guys, stop trading them to the Cardinals. <laughs> like, they're good enough at turning, you know, Tommy Pham, Colton Wong, uh, Tommy Edmond into superstars seemingly every 20 minutes and then you go and trade them real superstars to bolster the rest of the team it's insane um i don't think this makes them like a a, even a world series contender necessarily but i do think that it makes them the far and away favorite in the nl central a division that is a a true disgrace to the sport of baseball the way that they've (laughs) handled themselves this this offseason you know the cubs are doing anything they can to go in reverse then the rest of the teams are just doing nothing happily and you know up until like three days ago you could have said the same thing about the cardinals but i don't know how long that they were sitting on this trade seems like a while they that they were interested in arenado and the rockies were just like sure yeah you guys telegraphed your interest in him and we'll take him for nothing although maybe we should throw it to buster Olney real quick and see what he has to say Important context for any Nolan Arenado trade. Owed $199 million for the next six seasons. He turns 30 on April 16th. The biggest deal for any free agent this winter is Springer's six years, $150 million deal. Colorado likely to get little in trade return unless it eats a chunk of the contract. So we already got that media machine in motion. Yeah, I actually didn't realize he was owed money. I Okay, I might, I might have to change my tune a bit. Now that I realize that the team is going to have to pay him for a few years. Yeah, that you don't want him then. Right. Why would you Why would you hold on? I mean, at this point, why don't we jettison the GM too? Because I'm pretty sure he's signed to a contract. Um, last piece on the Rockies is that, you know, they've been trying to extend Trevor Story in the same way that Nolan Aaron, they extended Nolan Arenado, and I just have no idea why Trevor Story would sign a contract <laughs> no. with them. Yeah. I, it's, much has been made about the... Uh, lauded free agent shortstop class of 2021 or 2022. Um, 
you know, guys like Corey Seager will be on the market, guys like Trevor Story and Carlos Correa. So it's a little bit crowded for Story, but I don't know why you would sign yourself up for this exact situation. You just watched it play out with the guy who stood seven feet to your right for the last four years. So don't sign that extension would be my advice to Trevor Story. And I'm sorry to Rockies fans because to lose Arenado and then lose Story because you lost Arenado would really, really suck. But you know, for the better livelihood of our friend Trevor Story, who we've never really talked about on this podcast, <laughs> don't sign in Colorado. It's our professional legal advice. Let's talk about the other large story in the last week of baseball, which is kind of baseball adjacent, which is GameStop. <laughs> Hell yeah. Stonks, baby. Let's get it. I'm going to break this down. Okay. Are you ready for me to break this down? Let's I'm going to explain to you what short selling is. I am so ready for this. This is the big short and Moneyball. Yes. And CNBC all wrapped into one. So let's just, let's get it. Let's do this. So a hedge fund called Melvin Capital, run by a man named Gabriel Plotkin, decided that they were going to take a massive short against GameStop, bet that it would fail. When you take a short against a company, you borrow shares from somebody who owns them, you resell them at that value, you bet that that stock is going to go down so that when you buy them back, you made the profit of the difference and then you give the stock back to the person you borrowed it from initially. So Melvin Capital did that at a scale of like $2 billion, which is normal hedge fund shit. I mean, it's a big old bet, but this is not totally uncommon. Yeah, no, this is, I mean, it's a very legal and common thing that, that happens. Billionaires making money off of companies failing, which definitely moral, uh, a very moral thing to do and proof that the stock market is um, a necessary evil for sure. Anyway, continue. Yeah, healthy and rooted in reality, I would mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. You would agree? I would agree, yeah. Okay, okay, good. That's just, I just wanted to get your official stance, Alex Basley. Just wanted to check in on your politics. Make sure they didn't change. So, how does this relate to Steve Cohen? Well, Gabriel Plotkin is a protege of our friend Steve Cohen, who is the hedge fund czar. He's the guy who made it biggest of all of the hedge fund bros. Steve Cohen is the dude that made it biggest. So, of course, he has spawned the same way that Greg Popovich has spawned NBA coaches all around the NBA, Steve Cohen has spawned hedge fund managers all around fucking Wall Street. And Steve was like, that's my guy. You know, that's my protege. I trained him and he's in trouble because many people will know that this short position against GameStop failed because a group of Reddit users decided that they were going to buy up the stock en masse and try to raise the price of it. And as it started to go up, other hedge funds who didn't have short positions against GameStop decided to also buy in on this same wave. So it went up even faster and faster and faster. Yeah, which then forces Melvin Capital to start buying stocks in GameStop, buying more because they need to recoup their losses and to get out of their own position. Exactly. So then they needed to sell out of their short position because they were about to go bankrupt. They what were the, $13, $13 billion in the hole. Which, what are the only... It's like, like 6.5 MLB teams. <laughs> this is one of the only times where Redditors just sheer spite for everyone actually works out where we're like on the same team as them. I'm like, hey man, yeah. I know this is going to fail in the end because House always wins, but let's uh, let's enjoy the ride. 
Yeah, this is like Ocean's Eleven. So we don't need to get into the whole Robin Hood aspect of this. I don't know if you traded stocks. I'm actually curious. Did you buy any GameStop stocks? <laughs> Alex is actually deep fucking value. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Melvin Capital is going to go out of business if they don't recoup a little bit of their loss and cover their short position and basically buy back out of the short position. And so that's where Steve Cohen comes in. He loans Melvin Capital $750 million out of his own assets from Point seventy two, which is Steve Cohen's hedge fund. This is a lot after of names. A lot of names to keep track of. A lot of names of to keep track of. This is after I think already having sunk like a billion dollars, like into Melvin Capital. Like they already had roughly a billion under their management. So <laughs> Steve Cohen is sweating a little bit. What's wild to me is that hedge funds. So how many layers of the onion should we peel back here? Hedge <laughs> funds are managing some people's money, very rich people's money, or they're managing four hundred one ks. Or they're managing pension funds for the police unions and the fire department unions. But then also they're taking money and letting other hedge funds manage it. So like $1 billion of Steve Cohen's money from point seventy two was being managed by Melvin Capital? Or was it $1 billion of Steve Cohen's personal assets were being managed by Melvin Capital? That's a great question. I want to know how much money Steve Cohen lost. Anyway, we're not going to get to the bottom of that question. We never will know. No, but, but he, he lost at least $750 million at minimum. Right. Because yeah. of Reddit. And many people on baseball Twitter wanted to know, is this going to affect the Mets? Is this the second weird financial crime to affect the New York Mets' ability to spend and get good baseball players? Now, Steve Cohen has said since that he has not been affected to the point where this will affect what the Mets do. Yeah, so if you go to um, the popular financial website, Forbes, uh, which some of you may be familiar with, this says that his real-time net worth as of today, actually, is approximately $14.6 billion. Ooh, so, ooh, like, ooh, ooh. I, he took did, like a $300 million He hit. did take a big hit there. Um, I think he's going to come out okay. But the jury's still out, so. Mets fans were panicking, and as we do, I I was fine. I was fine. Although, I wasn't so much worried that he would become, like, liquidated or, like, he would not have enough money to actually sign Francisco Lindor to an extension or whatever. I was more so worried that he, like many other very, very, very wealthy baseball owners, didn't really want to spend money on baseball at his core anyway, and he was going to use this as an excuse. But it doesn't seem like that's happened because he's come out and explicitly said that this won't affect events in any way. But let's talk about him deleting his Twitter. <laughs> the most important aspect of all of this. Because you and I have been saying nothing good can come out of his Twitter. Nothing good can come out of his posting. When you have that much money, all you can do is fuck it up by tweeting incessantly. And before he had the chance to do that, he decided to delete his Twitter because he and his family got death threats over this whole stock exchange thing. And then the whole weird wild card of the situation is that he got into an argument on Twitter with Dave Portnoy. So I wonder if... I wonder if the two were related. Yeah, I don't know. Hmm. What do you think? Uh, there's definitely I don't think no they're known for example. online harassment. Yeah, there's, uh. No, there's no prior examples of that. Right. I'll think on that a little bit more and let you know. It is kind of incredible. Like we were, we were speculating that there was 
that no good could come out of his Twitter usage. And yet, it had really only been a general positive. Like, to to this point, he had actually been engaging in what seemed like maybe good faith with the Mets fans. Yeah. I like I hate to say it. Hate Although to give he didn't the, answer my tweet, so I Ah no, damn it. Okay. No, never, it never mind. If he didn't engage wrong. with the Mets fan. <laughs> <laughs> um I d I don't what uh, is there even more of a conversation to have about this? No. Online Steve Cohen, we hardly knew ye. Exactly. I just all of this detail was to say that it led us to this point where now we no longer get Steve Cohen tweets. I know. And that was, that was, you want to talk about open season. And if you do want to talk about open season, please call 785-422-5881 and tell us about your owner. If you're a Mets fan, tell us about how you're going to miss Steve Cohen's Twitter. But you want to talk about open season. It was free content for us, Alex. And now we don't get it anymore. Here's, here's hoping that he comes back. Yeah. He did. I, I think he deserves that. And I think Mets fans deserve that too. I got to say, it was supremely bizarre to have my entire Twitter feed talking about the stock market on Wednesday yeah. and yeah. like a not insignificant portion talking about how the Mets are involved in that. Weird week. Weird week for baseball. The, one of the most, most shocking parts was that there was no other baseball element to the story like the rickets didn't somehow get dragged into it or whoever else didn't somehow get dragged into this in some way or another maybe there was and it just didn't come out because steve cohen was so splashed onto the page but it's surprising to me because all of these guys have their money tied up with each other maybe that maybe not with cohen though maybe that's why all the baseball owners hated him you think jerry reinsdorf was just like sitting in his office like "Ooh, this is good (laughs) I'm sure they were, actually. I'm sure there were some owners who were like, hell yeah, take that hit, Steve. Do you think that this means that the Mets won't sign Trevor Bauer because Steve Cohen has finally experienced Twitter harassment? Yeah, Uh, owners are never known for talking out of both sides of their mouth at once, for sure. I'm in the business of asking you questions that are impossible to answer. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm in the business of just doing my best over here, Bobby. That's what I bring to the table every day. And you're doing great. You're doing phenomenal. Um, Okay, let's take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to talk to uh, our friend Mike Schubert. Okay, Alex, we're joined by the world's most annoying Yankees fan. It's Mike Schubert. (laughs) High praise. I'll take it. (laughs) From the Multitude Podcast Collective. Hello, Shoops. How are you, my friend? I am doing great. I am happy to be back. I'm very, very excited that I was brought back to specifically talk about the Yankees uh, on on this most glorious of days, the day after you didn't trade for Arenado. So... (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Knives are out. <laughs> Knives are out. Um, you know, long-time listeners of this show will remember, or I guess medium-time listeners of the show at this point. It was only yeah. a year ago. Todd's been going for three years, so mm-hmm. uh, medium-time listeners of this show will remember that Mike Schubert joined along with Eric Silver last year, and we did a cultural 
exchange between basketball and baseball, the entire sports in general, the entire sport in general. Um, and that was a lot of fun. So I hope that you have since, if you're listening to this podcast, have since checked out Horse and the entire Multitude Podca- Podcast Collective. But if not, this is your chance to see how great uh, Mike is again. Uh, still, still my still my favorite part about that conversation, Bobby, is that you and I came to the table with like very serious things we want to wanted to steal, like yeah. like socio political, uh, like uh, climate aspects of <laughs> basketball, and you guys were like uh, coaches and jerseys, seventh inning stretch, seventh inning stretch, funnier brawls, brawls, goofy brawls, baby. We're spoiling the IP, bro. If someone's listening who's <laughs> new wants to go back and listen to it, they still can. Don't spoil all the picks. Don't spoil. Well, all yeah, the picks. it was good. It was funny because when you messaged me last night, I was trying to remember what ones we said, and I definitely remember coaches and jerseys. And I thought we did seventh inning stretch. Uh, so I'm glad. I'm glad that was already checked. And don't worry, the ones I've brought to the table today are equally silly and not like. It's culturally important. It's again, it was stuff. And I did say out loud when I thought of it uh, in preparation for this recording out loud for one of the most ridiculous things. I was like, oh, that's good. And it was for (laughs) something that's very, very not good. So we're going to do a couple bonus exchanges, although I didn't think of any. So it might just be Mike stealing a couple things at the end of the segment. But first, Mike, what's up, man? How how are you? How are you doing? Uh, We wanted to have you on to talk generally about your fan experience in the last year because you're a huge Yankees fan, as we've alluded to, um, and as people who follow you on Twitter will know. But you're not as big of a fan of the sport of baseball as you are of the sport of basketball. You more follow the Yankees. So what has your last year of um, very complicated pandemic baseball fandom been like as someone who's primarily filtered through the Yankees? It's been interesting. So a little backstory is that I do love baseball, the sport itself. I played travel baseball all growing up. Uh, I love it. It was like my sport until I moved to Texas in high school and I was like still five foot two and I was like, I won't make the team. So I stopped playing at that point. But like loved baseball, worked as an umpire for like a decade. Big oh, fan. Yeah. Let's tell some up stories, baby. I've got I have some incredible burns that I have laid on some some overzealous fathers. But I when it comes to like rooting for the sport, it's just the teams are too big, at least for me. Like there is like 40 man roster. And that's not even the amount of people that you have to pay attention to because you got to know like the backups and stuff. So like really like just for your team, you have to pay attention to like 60 people or at least the level that I like to do so that when we make a trade, I can at least go like, oh, cool. We didn't give up Jason Dominguez. Like I can at least understand when we trade like five prospects for someone like, oh, it's not one of the ones I care about. I watched like 10 minutes of Jason Dominguez just swings yesterday, just in my free time. Wild. I don't. I do not understand how I am eleven years older than that man because he looks about thirty years older than me. (laughs) So when it comes to like rooting for it, I always just knew all about the Yankees and then like the people who we would play against. So like I became well versed in like the Red Sox because I would hate them like when they were good. Now they're not good anymore. Um, Or other other teams. So like I felt pretty familiar about the teams we play, but like National League, like not even worth it. We never play them except for, you know, a little bit here and there. So didn't pay attention to that. And that's just like real baseball. You don't care about real baseball. Oh, yeah, because you can put the pitcher in and then you got to do weird things where you substitute out. Like that's uh, I just we never played them. So it was just like not worth my brain space. And there was such a big roster for me to pay attention to that. Like that's how it just came down to. So I was like very, very well knowledge in the Yankees. 
not with the other teams. And that like shaped it through. I don't know if I told the story when, when I was last on, but like whatever world series, it was like 2015, I think I, or whatever year this would make sense. I asked the question, who's Madison Bumgarner like out loud while watching a game. Like that is the level of like, I know everything about every Yankee. But I that sounds like Nirvana to me. I don't want to know who <laughs> Madison Bumgarner is. <laughs> so this past season, even more so, I think that was like stricter in my brain because the way COVID worked out, you only played like the teams near you regionally, right. which is pretty much the teams I already know anyway. So I am familiar with everyone in the AL East. So that was there. We played them pretty much the most. I guess I got to like learn more like Eastern National League teams because we got to beat up on the Mets a bunch and that was very fun. But yeah, it was a weird, it was a weird season. Like any sport, it's just like, it felt weird that it came back. It felt like it came back too soon. Anytime there was an outbreak, there was a question of why are we doing this? And then, you know, like the whole, the playoffs thing like made sense where they're all in a separate location. But then all that got flushed on the toilet when what's his face got COVID in the middle of the game. And they were like, yeah, go celebrate with the team. It's fine. Like right. it's, it's chill. So it was, it was a weird, it was a weird year. And then like specifically with the Yankees, it was just like another year of like, well, everyone's injured for the third consecutive year. So it was just like very disappointing, but happy things in that. Like Clint Frazier learned how to play defense, which was really fun. Uh, and there were like some bright spots. Stanton was like amazing once he was in the playoffs. So like there is, there's glimmers of hope in what was a a disappointing Yankee season. And uh, hopefully, I feel like I'm saying this every year now, but it's like, as long as we don't get injured, we'll be great. I feel like that holds true again for this coming season. I feel like it doesn't bode well for the fact that I actually kind of forgot that Giancarlo Stanton was on the, um, on the New York Yankees. Kind of yeah. like, oh, that's right. They do have a second um, guy who's 6'6 six, six and has 0% <laughs> body fat. That's right. Yeah. That's probably good for them. And in the hundredth percentile of exit velocity, right? Exactly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's good stuff. When he like when he plays, he's great. It's just the the when he plays portion is has been a little up in the air. What's the state of um, from the Yankees fan perspective? Mm-hmm. How do you see the evil empire? Like, do you feel villainous to the rest of the baseball world still? Or are you losing the thread a little like, bit? Yes and no. The The main reason that we don't feel as evil as we used to be is because now that George Steinbrenner isn't in charge and it's Hal, like Hal wants to spend as much money on big things as long as we end at exactly whatever the like cap luxury, whatever, whatever the thing is when the billionaires have to play a little bit more, like whatever that one is, like that is where Hal is like, I'll do whatever it takes up to this point. And then we do things like let Masahiro Tanaka go back to Japan. And it's like very sad and makes me very upset. Like, but so we don't have that same thing where it's like the Yankees just get everybody. But like, we do still have some things like the Stanton trade was very upsetting to a lot of people for good reason. And like, I would say if we were in on these this new hot cool trend in the MLB where a team is like we don't want to pay this guy anymore he's so good but I'd rather just like trade him for nothing like the fact that we didn't get in on Mookie or Arenado uh or like all these other like weird the Lindor, Lindor like all these things yeah. where people are just like we don't want to pay this really generational talent because uh like the fact that we didn't get in on any of those makes me feel like we've lost a little of the tinge but what reminds me of the tinge is like once we got good again, everyone hated us like very quickly. Like we were bad for like a season and a half, and then we came back and everyone's like, "Fuck these guys!" Like blah blah blah. 
Yeah. So it's the, I feel it's it. the North Star of baseball fans. Yeah. You know, it's like when the Yankees are good, you can hate them and everything actually feels like it may just be okay in the yeah. end. I also think there was a bit of a distraction of like everyone hated the Astros for the trash can thing. Right. Yeah. And like they should and the Yankees the 20- were sort of like the primary victim of that. That's that was the big thing. It's like we were a couple runs away from beating them. We had no business doing so, but we were like a couple runs away, game seven from beating them in the the championship series in the ALCS that year. So like we would have stomped the Dodgers, no question, uh, in my very biased brain. So, like, yeah, we won in 2017. But uh, I think people were distracted by having another team to hate. And, like, for a legitimate reason this time, because they, like, actually cheated at baseball and got caught doing it. So I think that has, like, taken some of the focus away. But I feel like it'll just come back. I almost feel like the Garrett Cole signing, which obviously was yeah. a massive mm-hmm. Where the Yankees like let's show up and let's just get mm-hmm. the get our guy. It was almost reminiscent of the CC signing in a way, where it's just right. obvious fit, best pitcher available. They need a pitcher. They're going to pay him the most money out of any of the teams that are going to do it. Mm-hmm. But because it was so telegraphed for so long that Cole was going to be on the market, he wasn't going to come back to the Astros, and the Yankees have been yearning for reliable starting pitching for quite a while. While they have this amazing lineup and they've been falling just short in the playoffs. I almost feel like people hedged a little bit and they knew it was going to happen, so people didn't get quite as mad about it. Meanwhile, the dude signed a nine-year, $327 million contract. He set the record for AAV, and we're just like fine with it. Best pitcher in baseball, not named Jacob deGrom, just going straight into the Yankees. <laughs> and people are just like, sure, sure. There's just way too much else to keep up with in the baseball world right now. Yeah, I think there since there was no like out of nowhere nature to it, it it wasn't like as rage inducing. Um, but a lot of people, it, it it had more of like the of course reaction, like oh, of course the guy who was a Yankee fan as a kid, like they signed him to all the money. I also think that's really funny. Is like now we're of the age, and I don't know if this will happen to like basketball players for the Chicago Bulls, like. It it should, I guess it should have happened like 10 years ago, but like you have the thing where it's like, oh, growing up, this guy was a Yankee fan. It's like, yeah, everybody was because we won like everything for like five consecutive years aside from a broken bat bloop single, you know, thing that never actually happened in 2001. But like the, (laughs) the, like, so I think it's funny this. Oh yeah, the kid's a Yankee fan, of course. Like, yeah, pretty high odds that someone's going to be a Yankee fan if they're, you know, like in their late twenties, like it it checks out. So those stories I, I also sometimes find really hard to believe. It's like mid-tier player gets traded to the Toronto Blue Jays and is like, oh, I was a Blue Jays fan growing up. Like sometimes I'm like, were you a Blue Jays fan or were you a Twins fan who watched Blue Jays games like when the Twins weren't on? You know, like the story feels a little bit too perfect sometimes. Mm-hmm. I respect Cole that he had like the sign. The sign. You know? That was like, even yeah, though he had that, receipts. that storyline got very, very old, very quickly. I was mm-hmm. like, all right, all right, guy, we get it. <laughs> like, <laughs> it was hard yeah. for me to get into the Cole thing because he just looks so different and weird and frankly, not as good without his beard. Yeah, Cole was the first. I was I was always a fan of the not a fan, but like I always thought it was fine the whole strict facial hair situation until Cole. Cole makes me like flip. Like we should get rid of it because yeah, the because fa- based on how like not much I know about players not on the Yankees, I'd never heard the man speak until his 
his uh, press conference with the Yankees, and his voice was like, "Hey guys, it's really nice to be on the team." Like he does not have an intimidating voice at all. So like the fact that he also has to shave his face and like kind of cut his hair a little bit more, it's like, yeah. oh, we should we should let him have the beard. Uh, and that's also just a like of all the like traditional Yankee things, I actually think the like no names on the back is really cool, but. I I think that the uh, the the facial hair thing's got to go. It's I, like at least do it to where you can stop someone like because some of these beards are ridiculous. Like you can stop like a really unkempt situation or really gross hair, but like people should be able to have like a nice normal beard because it is the year two thousand twenty one. Like I think we're allowed to do it. Yeah. yeah, I'd actually I think I'd respect it more if they like paid really close attention to like their facial hair grooming, you know, like the Yankees all of a sudden (laughs) had the best facial hair in the league, you know, Uh like poured uh a lot of that money Uh that they're not paying into going over the luxury tax (laughs) and yeah, pay it, you know, mustache wax. I like it. Let's get it going. I think it'd be very good. If you watch Gary Sanchez in the off season, he grows a beard out pretty frequently yeah, every everybody does it's it's like and they, it looks good it's yeah for some people it looks very good some people like labor Torres had like a really weird goatee situation it's like it's like when you have an overbearing parent in high school and then like they say oh you can't date and then they like lash out and do like <laughs> date someone terrible or do something whatever it's like that like in the summer when they're allowed to grow it's like some of the guys are like we're just doing whatever i'm getting zebra beard like you get some some interesting choices there but yeah, I feel like we should we should axe that thing. It's it's getting old. It's it's getting tired. Is there is there anything like that that exists in basketball? You know, like kind of team specific unwritten rules. Like I can't really think of. One. I can't think of anything. I can't think of anything like that. I I don't even think of like because even the Yankees have a thing where like we have we have a good chunk of retired numbers, but like also if you take the number of a fan that we of a player we loved like twenty one is Paul O'Neill, uh, his number's not retired, but like there was a pitcher a couple years back who like got twenty one because that was Roberto Clemente's number, and the crowd just booed him every second he was on the field, and he changed his number after the first game. He was like, I had no idea. <laughs> so yeah, I don't I don't think of like a single unwritten rule, and like even even like things at stadiums like the Yankees do the roll call. I don't. I don't think any other team does, and if they do, they're just copying us. Where, where you do the outfield chant from the bleacher creatures for right. all the players on the field. Like, I don't really think that exists in basketball with like a team specific thing. Like, except for what every stadium does, where like they try to name the section of the stadium where like the loud fans with the instruments that are very loud and annoying and shouldn't exist. Like at the Rocket right. Stadiums, I think it's like I think it's like the Rockets rowdies. Like, shut up! <laughs> You're not the bleacher creatures. Like, get out of here. So yeah, I don't think basketball has any of that. I I want more team specific things like yeah. oh you can only have even numbers if you're on the milwaukee bucks like no odd numbers that would allowed. be amazing that, <laughs> that would be something <laughs> no player would ever go for that but that would be amazing <laughs> it'd be fun just some sort of weird thing but yeah I, don't, I can't think of anything i'm sure there's internal like kangaroo court stuff right that like we as fans maybe aren't privy to mm-hmm. um but the but like the facial hair thing is very, very strange. I think we've talked about it on the podcast before. <laughs> that it's yeah, like, Michael Bowman like, compared it to the Royal Air Force. Right. <laughs> I mean, also the weird thing is that you are allowed to have a mustache. Mustaches are okay, but not beards, which is a, a wild, a wild distinction to make. You can but draw I, a straight line from Steinbrenner to that, though. Like the, the whole 1980s businessman chic mm-hmm. kind of look where a, a beard is, you're a hippie. And a mustache, you could be a a salesman or a professional right. whatever you could be a, a white collar type guy i think you can draw a straight line from steinbrenner to that 
Uh-huh, 100%, 100%. The thing with, like, dress code stuff for baseball versus basketball is, like, every basketball on-court accessory at least has, like, some bullshit reason of pretending that it's not because it looks cool. It's for a reason, like, oh, this is a compression sleeve so that my arm doesn't get, you know, like, sore or whatever. So yeah. you, it's harder now to justify, like, you can't wear tights if you play for the, the Nets or whatever because they'll be like, but calf cramps. So... <laughs> Well, yeah, yeah. so what you're saying is that Josh Beckett couldn't exactly claim that all the 17 necklaces that he wore around <laughs> his neck were actually for performance. Well, I feel Aroldis Chapman, who is on our team, and I hate that I have to pretend to root for the dude. Like, he he always wears the, like, long sleeve Under Armour style, like, turtleneck thing that I wore playing baseball in the frigid cold of New Jersey. And, like, he's always sweating profusely. It's like, Araldus, you don't have to, like, you don't have to wear this. <laughs> Gotta stay hot, bro. Gotta stay hot, bro. Like, he's always so sweaty. <laughs> Keep those muscles warm. Um, Mike, because this is tipping pitches, we have to ask you about labor. So okay, good. Please get do. ready. Strap in. Oh, wanna... yeah. Is, are we going to be asking about how the, the Yankees were, like, really shitty to the Trenton Thunder? I'm furious about that. I hate oh, that so much. Oh. I didn't even think about that, but no, speak on it. Okay. Speak on it. Because so, you are tre- you were a Trenton Thunder fan as well, or you grew up nearby Trenton, Trenton Thunder. Trenton Thunder fan. I grew up in Robbinsville, New Jersey, very close to Trenton and Princeton, like, the two most well-known cities in Central Jersey, which does exist. And we used to go to Trenton Thunder games all the time. Like, they were a pretty solid team. Uh, they got, a, they have a very nice stadium. Uh, they used to be the Red Sox affiliate, and then they switched to the Yankees, and that was a glorious day. And they would always do the injury rehab games for players. They would do it in Trenton yeah. because it was closer than doing uh, Scranton because it was like it was farther away, which is our AAA team. Yeah, and I think I think our AAA team even back then was like Columbus, so it was even farther away. So we would go just to games all the time, but like injury ones too. So I saw. I definitely saw Jeter do an injury rehab game. I saw Bernie Williams Same. do an injury rehab game. Same. I uh, saw Bernie Williams hit a home run at Trenton. Oh, incredible. My dad yeah. had me go up to Brian Cashman at one point. I was like seven, so I had no idea who this was. Uh, but my dad was like, he's the general manager. I was like, what position is that? So he uh, <laughs> like he went up and I got like my hat signed by Brian Cashman, um, which was really cool. Uh, so like we used to go to games all the time. We did a day where like my little league team sponsored the Trenton Thunder where I don't know how it worked, but like we got to all go out and stand by whatever position we played by that player during the national anthem. And then like yeah. there's some sort of fundraiser for us, whatever. So that we, there was a whole like Robinsville Raptors Trenton Thunder day. So I really loved them. Uh, I have some Trenton Thunder merch because they, as their joke thing, they were the the Trenton pork rolls for like a week, which is great. So like I have a pork roll hat. I, gave my, I got my dad a pork roll shirt for Christmas. And then, yeah, I don't know exactly what happened, but like the general gist I got is that they completely screwed over the Thunder in terms of their their deal with them and they're like not part of their program anymore. And it's so upsetting. It's very upsetting because the Thunder were like nothing but great to them and it seems like they just shafted them. Well... <laughs> As MLB clubs do, number one. Mm-hmm. Number two, I think that ultimately what ended up is they moved it to a location yeah. that's slightly closer. It's like to the Westchester or something. Yeah, so that they can um, more easily send people there or it's better facilities for them to send people there to do rehab. It's kind of similar to what you're describing about why a lot of these guys did rehab starts in Trenton in the first place. But that actually wasn't what I was going to ask you. What I was instead going to ask you was... was as somebody who follows baseball primarily through one team versus me and Alex who follow the entire league and we talk about it week in and week out and we care a lot about, you know, the CBA and like when it's up and what it means for the players alliance or players association. Um, how aware of you are of that meta conversation? 
like that whole the players are arguing back and forth with the owners and they need to get it done and everybody seems mad and how much are you internalizing about that sort of cold war of baseball? I know it exists. I know that the owners are being shitty in general because like I know I was well aware enough with what was going on in the league, especially during that break when it was like, when are we going to start the COVID season? And they were determining like how many games and all this stuff. Like I checked the Yankees subreddit like fairly often. So every now and then like general baseball news will, will poke in and I'll, and I'll get it through that. But like, as far as, as far as the specifics, I don't know exactly what they're arguing for. Whereas like when the NBA has CBA stuff, I know exactly what they're trying to do. And I'm like, Oh, they're trying to get this percentage of the TV deals. Like I know everything. So I know that it's like owners basically not wanting to pay the players. Uh, and they're being pushed back on that, especially with all the big contracts, just because the way baseball lends itself to like these longer contracts, uh, that it's a different relationship with the NBA and the players union where it's more of like these shorter deals and guarantees and all this stuff like that. So I don't know like the specifics of it, but I do know that the owners are being bad to the players, not wanting to pay them. And especially with all these trades where they're just like, oh crap, I just wanted to not pay these, this generational talent of Mookie Betts here, take them Los Angeles Dodgers for nothing. Like yeah. that I'm aware of all of it, but I don't know like specifics beyond players want more money and they're unhappy with like the owner versus player power dynamic. Yeah. That's well, the, pretty, the, that's pretty good. You know, cool. yeah, that's you kind of nailed it. Nice. Billionaires <laughs> being shitty. Put it on a t-shirt. <laughs> well, the reason I ask is because I, I do wonder if it feels different, you know, if it feels different to fans who mostly filter through one team, which, yeah. you know, Alex and I were for most of our lives and are no longer. So it's sort of hard to get outside the, you know, Look, get outside of our own perspective, outside of our own. You could bubble, say we're in so a bubble. Speak. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we God definitely still know, and at least for me specifically with the Yankees, like we haven't had as much of an issue because, like, as much crap as you want to give Hal Steinbrenner for not wanting to go over the luxury, like he does spend like up to the penny of it every year. So we at least like we at least have a guy who's gonna drop money and and isn't like. I, at least to my knowledge, doesn't do like actively bad, weird, crappy things to the players. Like we've we've let some guys go, but it's never like a completely indefensible thing. Like, yeah, Tanaka went back to Japan, but like this was probably Tanaka's last good year. Same thing with DD and like guys that you love, but when they go, you're like, yeah, but that made sense of why we didn't go over the cap for this guy because then it allows making letting you pull out all the stops for someone like a DJ LeMahieu re-signing or a Cole free agent signing. Like it makes sense. So I think cause our owner in particular hasn't done anything bad. It, it, I could see it be more of a thing where fans aren't as aware to like the, the Red Sox owners being ridiculous or, you know, all these other teams. So, well, when you I turn think, around and trade Aaron Judge in two years for like a prospect <sighs> to be named later and twenty million dollars, we'll see. The thing I is, like the, the Yankees feel it feels like <laughs> The Yankees, the Yankees are, are pro-labor legends, bro. I mean, we have <laughs> almost gone down that road before. But it's like, whenever they do something shitty like that, they usually have a decent enough rationale for mm-hmm. it, where it's like, yeah, we're going to get under the luxury tax so we can reset and then go get Giancarlo Stanton or something mm-hmm. like that. Whereas most teams, say, I don't know, the Colorado Rockies or the Boston Red Sox are like, yeah, we're going to trade our best guy. And then... Well, we'll see what happens. We'll just go go from there. And the yeah. Yankees are are at we'll least snag ourselves like, Garrett Richards. We know the Yankees are signing Garrett Cole. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. I think with the Yankees, like our fans are so demanding of the on field success that they know ownership. Yeah, knows, you hold like, they them can't, accountable. 
Yeah, like they can't screw that up. So they screw us over in like more like other ways. Like the prices at Yankee Stadium are ridiculous. Ticket prices are obnoxious. Like concession stand prices are bad. Like they screw you in all these other different ways that are really weird such that they can not like they can't get away with screwing us over for the roster. So you got to do other things where like tickets are are really, really overpriced though i have found the great niche market of like being on i'm on an email listserv and so is my dad i don't know what they are but like we get these things where it's like get these shitty ass seats for five bucks quick and i get those and then i just sit somewhere else uh and like they don't like they don't check in the bleacher creature stuff if you've got your tickets so like as long as you can conceivably be in a section where you go in the bleacher creature entrance and then get down there like you're good so uh but yeah I i i think they just know we have no tolerance for like on court on field success not being there that they're not going to make a decision that they at least can't like point to like here's what we did kind of thing. I do think that the Yankees have as an organization have sort of held up their end of the bargain on that aspect. And mm-hmm. obviously that in the same way that the Dodgers have they have ex- exorbitant resources even more than the exorbitant resources yeah. of the other 28 clubs. So they don't have any excuse at all. Although right. you mentioned you mentioned Yankee Stadium, which um, I hate to say this to you because we invited you so warmly into this Zoom, but Yankee Stadium sucks. <laughs> it's uh, it's so <laughs> hard. New Yankee Stadium doesn't even sniff City Field, and you know it's true. But your Yankees exceptionalism won't let you say it on this pod. Here's what I'll say: I've been to one game at City Field. It was a Yankees game. We lost. It rained. It was very sad. But it's a very pretty park. The, the problem with New Yankee Stadium is like old Yankee Stadium was so perfect. And New Yankee Stadium is like has glimmers of it. It's it's like when you have like an old player on your team, and then like one out of every ten games they like play perfectly, and you're like, oh yeah, I remember. Like there's little things about it that are close enough to the other stadium. But yeah, like I understand us getting rid of the old stadium because like it was perfect, but also people died because of it not being built well. So like I do get it. But like the ambiance is just not there. It's just, uh, it's just, it feels more lifeless. Yes. But all of that being said, I think like normal regular season game, like, yeah, it's so much worse. But playoff game at New Yankee Stadium is like, is incredible. The thing was, every game at Old Yankee Stadium is that. So like now it's like the New Yankee Stadium is only good during the playoffs because every seat is full and people are going wild. So, yeah, it's like I don't know. It's 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 like you know you know how like Petco just changed their logo and it was like the the cooler like old school looking thing with the dog and the cat and now it's just like a vague sans serif font that looks like everything else. Like that's yes. like kind of what happened to Yankee Stadium. It's like it still looks kind of <laughs> the same, but it went over it went through some like rebranding that feels it like feels just everything else. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for sure. Because there's like sponsorships all over the fuck. When they did the thing when Delta when the Delta sign had the exact same size letters as Yankee Stadium, they were like the Yankees refused to make anything larger than the words Yankee Stadium. But like Delta is the exact same font size. It's like it shouldn't be even close. Like that was the biggest thing. Like Let's yeah, put go. stuff put stuff on the on the outfield fence. Like I don't care. Like whatever. But when Delta was as big as the words Yankee Stadium at the top of the stadium, I was like, this is a problem, and I won't stand for it. If we ever do the thing that the fucking Houston Astros have done, where they have a Chick Fil A ad on the goddamn foul pole, if we ever do that, <laughs> I will 
be so upset. That, this that's is so like good. The final line. This that's is the why you're here. Straw. This is this is why you're here. It's to do these like faux Mike Francesa rants like this. this is an embarrassment. <laughs> First time, long time. If they put a motherfucking White Castle, they got the Delta at the same font size. You got this. They're not even a good airline. Sky Miles, my ass. <laughs> I mean, far be it from me to praise. <laughs> the Yankees fan base, but like, you know, nothing if not loyal. And like yeah. you said, every seat is full. And when I go and like watch an A's game at Yankee Stadium, I get my ass razzed like no other. And like, it's fun as hell, right? That's the that's the dope environment. You were talking about the roll call. Um, I mean, the the like the judges chambers thing feels like a little bit, a little bit forced. But We're as someone of... who sat there once, I won a Twitter contest to get in there. It's so fun. They give you the rub. They give you the foam gavel. <laughs> they used to give the wigs, but they don't anymore. Like it's a great experience. It's yeah. so silly. I mean, it does feel like, like weirdly uh, reminiscent of baseball in like, uh, like Japan or oh, Korea yeah, yeah. where there's just this like kind of bizarre branding of the fandom. And I'm like, yeah, maybe a little forced a little bit, but let's bring more of this to baseball. One hundred percent. It's just in fun. the US. Well, you said about the, the Yankee fans being loyal. It's like it's like if the Knicks had justification for how loyal their fan base is. Yeah. Like the Knicks won two championships in the 70s. Yeah. Like 72, 74, like it's we're gonna hit like 50 years without a title. <laughs> it's, <laughs> With the it's, Yankees, it makes sense. With the Knicks, it's just sad. Yeah, right. Sad. Like the Yankees still have won 27 asterisks because we should have won in 2017, like world titles. It's justification. And I think that's also what whoa, leads whoa. to. If we're <laughs> going to put an asterisk <laughs> for almost winning in 2017, like a positive asterisk, can we put a negative asterisk in that like 10 of them came before integration? <laughs> oh, 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 man. Oh, geez. Oh, I'm just no. saying. <laughs> I mean, but like the, the thing is that I think that is what leads to the whole thing we were talking about earlier with like demanding success on the field is like we have we have a reason to demand that is because like we've always been good and like just even look at what happened this past season where we didn't win the 2019 uh world series and people are like oh my gosh this is the first decade ever where the yankees didn't win a world series (laughs) in that decade like and people on espn were like these fucking idiots didn't win this year like it was like what what standard have you just held us to so yeah like the the loyalty is there we're always going to be there and like if we're bad it has to have a purpose and if we make a bad move for no reason like that's going to be hell and and we really haven't in quite some time made a move that was like completely indefensible the closest it got to was like when cano went to the mariners but like that contract we were like that will be bad because we we knew this is going to be a problem and now i'm i was very upset that cano had steroids again because i was like oh man now the mets can sign dj but it didn't happen so it was all good (laughs) okay mike we're 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 so far over the yearly limit of yankees talk on this podcast (laughs) But that's okay. That's and the season we, hasn't even started. That's why we, we didn't even get to be pretending here. to know all these pitchers that we just signed. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, definitely knowing who Jamison Talon was <laughs> before like five days ago. Um, before you get out of here, I want you mm-hmm. to. I want to. Um, I want to see what else you want to steal. A couple honorary steals okay. to call it back right. to last year. So mm-hmm. uh, Mike is going to take a couple things from baseball, apply them to basketball. The first one is like not a genuine thing. It's like just for a joke. But I just because I am a fan in basketball of a team that like has a bunch of money and it hasn't really 
paid off. Like the Knicks having all of this money and an owner that will willingly spend all this money. Like say what you will about Dolan, terrible dude, but he drops money. Uh, and then the arena and all this stuff that people like. We don't actually get to benefit from like people wanting to be free agents here that much because we're so trash and we have been for so long. But it's okay, Emmanuel quickly is changing all that. Uh, I think something that would just very selfishly benefit me as a Knicks fan is if this whole trend of team in small market with good player was like, we don't want to pay this guy anymore. If that happened more often in basketball, the Knicks could just scoop these dudes up. So like instead of Anthony Davis being in New Orleans and then like forcing a trade to the Lakers, like if it was just a situation like I don't. I don't know much about how this all works, but it feels like the Cardinals shouldn't have received Arenado and then also $50 million. Like, it feels like that money should have gone the other direction. Feeling so, right there. Like, <laughs> if, I, if that happened in basketball more, this would be terrible for the league. I think this is yeah, a bad so thing. I, but a very, decimated labor landscape is what you're saying. <laughs> very selfishly, as a New York Knicks fan, this would be great. Like, as a, as a team in a big market with an owner who will drop mad money, like, if basketball had this, we would be in much better condition. Wow. I cannot argue with that. I mean, yeah. I didn't see that one coming. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. Let's get that out of the way. The real ones. This one that I thought was actually really solid. This is the one that I said out loud. Like, that's a good one. I want more like celebrity joke signings for minor league teams. Like how the mm. Yankees signed Russell Wilson and he was like played a couple games. Tim Tebow is like on the Mets. All right, what are you, are you saying that's a joke signing? This man, <laughs> this man is out there grinding every day. And you're going to disrespect that? You're going to disrespect that. He's making below minimum wage. <laughs> like, I think that there should be more things where they joke. There's always a thing of like, this football player also played basketball, blah, blah, blah. Like, if... It was like, hey, the the Westchester Knicks signed Larry Fitzgerald to play power forward for like a week <laughs> in between NFL seasons. I would this love is good. it. This like, is good. I, we need more joke signings in the G League. It would be so fun. One of the problems is that nobody would want to do that because basketball is fucking hard and yeah, tiring, and yeah. oh, you might get injured. But if it did happen, I feel like it would be it would lead to a lot of entertainment. Like, is how cool, a- how cool would it be if someone was just like a three point sniper? Like, out of nowhere, it's just like, oh, my God, Tommy Canely is a three-point sniper? <laughs> what? <laughs> is there a sport that you think would be particularly, maybe not even a sport, you could pull mm-hmm. from anywhere, but um, is there a sport that you think would be particularly well-suited for that kind of athleticism? I think there would There's be. There's certainly some tall dudes in baseball, but. Yeah, I think there'd be two because of how the other direction goes. I feel like football could work just because there's so many basketball players that also played football and people are saying all these things like, if LeBron was a tight end, like he'd be Gronk times 12, like all this stuff. (laughs) So I bet there's a bunch of football players that are on the same thing where they could make the transition and probably played in college and stuff like that. But I would love to see if the reverse happens because so many basketball players that are good at three-point shooting are very good at golf because it's all muscle memory. So like... Steph Curry, incredible golfer. Like all these three point snipers are incredible golfers. What if the reverse happened? And especially if it was like dudes you didn't expect. Like, what if John Daly was automatic from 40 feet? Like, <laughs> <laughs> stuff like that. But, like, seriously, like, I, it would be, I wouldn't be like too surprised if like Bubba Watson all of a sudden was just like, uh, put him in the corner and now he's Mike Miller. Yeah. Rory like, McElroy's baseline fade game is off the charts. Yeah. Like, what if VJ Singh was just out here pulling like Dirk VJ threes Singh. and like, 
<laughs> so I would love to see that sneakily be something that could happen. But yeah. like for a serious answer, I feel like football or soccer would probably be the two. Because there's also a lot of basketball players who are good at soccer. Like Steve Nash was always this thing of like, he's actually an incredible soccer player too. Luca yeah. like kicks stuff into the rim all the time in practice. So I feel yeah, I guess like soccer soccer's good because they have the stamina too. They can like mm-hmm. actually handle running up and down a court. Right. Whereas like if you throw a golfer onto a, <laughs> they need a, a cart. literal sport that requires a cart to drive yeah. you around the playing field. <laughs> I feel uh, like it, um I feel like Messi might be good at basketball. I don't know. It's just a hunch. He I grew up Argentina. He, he spent his whole yeah. life in FC Barcelona. He's from Argentina. Mm-hmm, He's probably mm-hmm. like right down the road from FC Barcelona or he was probably right down the road from Barcelona, the basketball team, which is yeah, where did Luka they call it came BC from. Barcelona? I have no idea. It's the same. It's the same ownership, but I guess not FC. I yeah. Well, <laughs> FC FB FB Barcelona. I feel like that might actually be it. Uh, okay, Mike, we have time for one more. Let's do okay. one more if you've got it. The final one that I have, which I do think is also really solid. Baseball has, I think, a couple signature things, and specifically, there's like signature food that you eat at a baseball game. You get a hot dog, you get a thing of Cracker Jacks, and then like a really big beer. Basketball doesn't have like a signature food that you eat while you're at the game. Every place has concession stands and you obviously have beer and and things like popcorn or nachos, but like there's no unified like, oh, I'm going to a basketball game and I'm going to eat this. And it varies wildly from stadium to stadium. I feel like we need a stereotypical basketball food. I don't know what makes the most sense, but I just feel like there is the quintessential baseball thing of like you've got hot dog you got cracker jack we need something in basketball where it's like oh i'm going to a basketball game i'm getting a cheeseburger or like whatever becomes the thing what is what is great about a hot dog is that like you can one hand it you know just because Mm. of the way that it's Mm. formed right that you kind of like have the whole vehicle where like a sandwich (laughs) you got you need two hands and then and then you're bringing your knees up so that like the (laughs) you got like the the little basket up close and everything's falling out yeah yeah that's a that's a tough one yeah you need like a one-handed a one-handed food is nice to have well the challenge here is that it can't be quite as fragrant as a hot dog because you're inside like you don't want to be sitting inside next to someone who's eating whatever's in a hot dog. No, I mean you can get a hot dog at a at a basketball game, but it's not everybody has a hot dog. That might be a little bit. Yeah, tough. it could be a problem. It could be a problem. <laughs> so yeah, we need a non-smelly one-handed food. Like I feel like a, a cheeseburger <laughs> could work if it's well made and not falling ar- falling apart. But like you you do want that second hand for for some guidance. So I, I don't have an answer for this one. I just have identified the problem. Is like there's no trademark dish to eat whilst at a game and i feel like there should be one let's crowdsource it if you're listening to this segment right now let us know and you think that you know the food that we should trademark to all nba basketball games (laughs) write in tipping pitches pod at gmail.com tipping underscore pitches on twitter he is mike schubert he is the world's most annoying yankees fan and he is a favorite (laughs) of tipping pitches thank you for joining us mike let people know where they can listen to all of the great stuff that you do over at multitude Sure. If you want to find me on social media, it's at Shub17, S-C-H-U-B-E-S-1-7. You'll see me sporadically tweet about, you know, various Yankee things whenever they do good things, uh, especially about my my older twin brother, uh, Aaron Judge, my six foot seven twin brother. Um, 
You guys are built just like each other. I mean, you know, it's, it's we're fraternal. So, image. you know, we don't we don't look the same. We're not identical twins. <laughs> but uh, for podcast wise, I've got I've got three shows. Uh, Meddling Adults, uh, depending on when this comes out, probably just came back for season three. Bobby was on an episode. Uh, it's where guests compete to solve children's mysteries for uh, charity. So things like Encyclopedia Brown Scooby Doo. Then there's Horse, uh, which was mentioned earlier. It's the basketball podcast I host with my buddy Adam Amawala. And similar to this, it's about some of the more sillier, lighthearted, outside of the sport itself stuff going to basketball. So talking about like Twitter beefs, player drama, stuff like that. And then I also host a show, Potterless, where uh, I never read the Harry Potter books as a kid. It's me reading them for the first time as an adult, making our way through. Uh, it was a lot more fun pre-JK Rowling. Now it's turned into me like dunking on her any episode that I can possible. Uh, and not- That's how I feel about how we started this podcast. <laughs> it was a lot more fun when we thought baseball was fun. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that is called Potterless. So you can listen to all three of those shows wherever pods are cast. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's that's about it. Thanks so much, Mike. Thank you, guys. Alex, we had big plans to talk about like the last week in free agency and Marcus Simeon leaving the Oakland Athletics to go to the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, but of course, Andrew Yang and, and Wall Street <laughs> come first here on this podcast. <laughs> but I want to give you a chance before we get out of here. Um, now that we're like fucking three hours into this pod or whatever we are. Uh, do you want to say bid your adieu to Marcus Simeon? A great Oakland day? Truly a great Oakland day. Like one of the, like I, I being an Oakland A's fan, I don't find myself getting attached to players too easily. I love Matt Chapman, but I'm accepting that he's not going to sign an extension with the A's. Likewise with Matt Olson. I know that I know this is how things go, but when you get a player who I actually feels like rooted in the community, rooted in Oakland, not to literally steal the the marketing slogan for the Oakland Athletics, but like a dude who grew up in the Bay Area and went to the same high school as yours truly and went to the University of California, Berkeley. And would you say that you were like, 10% better than Marcus Simeon in high school or like 20% better than Marcus Simeon in high school? Oh, that's being conservative. I I would I would say Marcus Simeon couldn't hold a candle to Alex Baisley in high absolutely school. Absolutely not. No. I mean, go to go to maxpreps.com. You can see your boy was raking freshman year. I don't know. It, like it I I get No, I don't even get. I don't get why they, they Can I'm going to I'm going to read you uh, this this paragraph from Ken Rosenthal's piece about the the A's letting him walk. Too much Ken Rosenthal. On the Too much Ken Rosenthal. We could do better next week. This is um, it's not even a paragraph. It's a sentence. The A's declined to make him a formal offer. Instead, floating a concept that had little chance of enticing Simeon. Sources said a one year, twelve point five million deal with $10 million deferred in 10 one-year installments of $1 million each. That's like, I have no words to, that makes me so angry. 
That's really bad. That's like, that's, a, like that's a slap in the face to Marcus Simeon. It's a slap in the face to Marcus Simeon. It's a slap in the face to A's fans. Mm-hmm. But then it's also a slap in the face to like the rest of baseball fans in general. Like, do they? What I wonder when teams do stuff like this is just. And we talked about this last week with the Orioles, and I would be remiss if I did not say this exact same thing with the A's. Do they think we're not paying attention? Yeah. Do they think that we won't notice that the guy who's been the best player on your team, not named Matt Chapman, is just going to take this deferral, this very abnormal, very anti-player deferral? I mean, it's just a sham, dude. It's just a sham. And it's the type of thing where if you weren't my co-host on this podcast, I would be asking Ace fans to call 785-422-5881 and go open season on John Jay Fisher. Ace fans, please do. Like, am I alone in this? In this no, feeling? No, obviously not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, uh, another reason to watch the Blue Jays this year. Like, I'm yeah. slowly actually becoming a... Toronto Blue Jays fan. Yeah. We don't watch former New York Met, former New York Metropolitan Steven Matz. You're not going to enjoy watching that, but good luck to you <laughs> and to Blue Jays fans. I just, yeah. Uh, Steven, Steven, I've never seen a sinker I couldn't put down the pipe, Matz. Exactly. Yeah. Steven, maybe this is the year that he figures it out, Matz. I, I'm sad because Marcus Simeon is a cool success story for the A's. It's like the same way that Arenado is a success story for the Rockies. Simeon is this guy who was never like the number one prospect in any organization, was never expected to be what he became, but he overperformed. He finished top three in AL MVP just two years ago in 2019. And he, he weirdly became so good that the A's couldn't play Franklin Barreto ahead of him. And Franklin Barreto was like the A's top prospect. And other than the pitchers, other than Lazardo and Puck. And so when you have a success story like that, it's sad to see him walk. Although you could maybe understand it because he's going to go get more from another team. That would be fine. I guess. Let me like, let me hedge a little bit and say that would be, that would be okay. It would be the type of thing that you could kind of understand if another team wanted to give him 25 million or whatever but to lose him in this way where you clearly didn't even make an effort and the effort that you did make was kind of a little bit of a slap in the face if you read between the lines it's like how we talked about with Bryce Harper when the Nats offered him and kept touting that they were offering him over 300 million dollars but it really wasn't and a lot of it was deferred and not all of it was guaranteed and the AAV was way lower than what he would have gotten anywhere else so it's just like just don't assume we're stupid. Just say we don't want to bring him back because we don't want to pay him. Yeah. Yeah. I need I need I need more honesty, please. I know. Well, and this is like one of the rare cases where I mean, he Simeon wasn't drafted by the A's, but was part of a deal with the White Sox that actually like, you know, 5 or 6 years down the line made sense and looked really good from the A's perspective. And I don't know. The fact that Simeon only got a one-year, eighteen million deal anyway is supremely bizarre to me, and it's possible that like maybe he wanted that to see how CBA negotiations turned out, to see what the free agency landscape looks like. But the dude 
has been a legitimate up the middle contender. I know he's going to play second base for the Blue Jays, but is an objectively good player and has vastly improved upon his defense. So you'd think that there would be a real market for a multi-year deal for him, but maybe, maybe, I mean, maybe he didn't want it. Maybe this is like a bet on himself type of thing because clubs didn't want to give him a long contract because really he had that standout year and he's been good the rest of the years. He was great in that one year, but he's been good the rest of the year. So maybe he thinks that he's worth 20 million a year. And he can only get it if he has this one year prove it deal where he makes 18 and it's like, okay, I, then I can get one more big contract after that. And then I can retire. He's 29. So he'll be 30 next year, which, you know, MLB clubs love to pay guys who are over 30 in free agency. So true. Uh, what else do we need to hit before we get out of here? Cause we're running super long. Let's talk about our boy, Ken Griffey Jr. Who is shacking up with Rob Manfred. Oh no! <laughs> uh, when you put it when you put it like that. <laughs> he's been named a senior advisor to uh, to Rob, uh, and his role is going to be based around um, youth development and diversity in the sport, baseball operations. Again, one of these kind of like nebulous titles that I think is probably just going to allow Griffey to have <laughs> free reign to work on projects as he sees fit and just kind of have conversations with rob whenever he wants um this is cool uh i got put into rob's top five on myspace he got put into his speed dial now yes yeah exactly i i think it's interesting that there's kind of this consolidation of like big names around the game who are coming together to like work with Rob Manfred. We had Theo Epstein this past off season and now Ken Griffey Jr. That's future MLB commissioner That's Theo future. Epstein too. Right, exactly. I think it's really interesting that they're taking that direct path to being these like quote unquote advisors to Rob Manfred rather than going to a specific department within MLB or or even doing outside work. I don't know if it's a it's too early to make a judgment call on either of these moves. Um, I don't know. What's your, what's your immediate takeaway from this? Well, I think, I think you're, I, that's sort of a smart way to look at this is that they're going directly to Rob and consolidating it in a top-down manner. Because I think that that's the currency of baseball. It's all top-down. It's always like, how does the league dictate how it wants the sport to be played? How can they change rules to make things different? How can they do this? How can they do that? Rather than really thinking globally about how they want to build the sport from the ground up and how they want to build the sport from youth level up so that the product at the MLB level can look slightly different or can be more diverse or can be more entertaining. I actually think the product at the MLB level is pretty great right now, but you're not worried about strikeouts, Bobby? You're not worried about home runs? You're not I'm worried, worried about, about home the runs. freaking shift, bro? I'm worried a lot less about home runs now that Steven Matz isn't pitching for the Mets. But it's interesting that that, that that is like the chosen path for a lot of people. It's not the only path, though. Like We have other things. We have outside organizations that are that have relationships with MLB but are not 
directly from the commissioner's office. Like I think of the players alliance. That's kind of a big deal right now. And it's it's only getting bigger. Um and a lot of young guys are involved in the players alliance. And that's the type of thing that I think could have a really big lasting impact for a long time and I'm fascinated to see how it turns out. Um and it can only be a force for good in the game, right? Like that these two things both exist that Ken Griffey Jr. can go to the MLB commissioner and say, I'm the best thing that this league ever turned out, you know, for in terms of entertainment value, in terms of star level talent, in terms of a footprint in popular culture, it doesn't get better than Ken Griffey Jr. in the modern era of baseball. And so the fact that he has a direct line to the commissioner and the commissioner will respect that, I think is good ultimately. You know, I'm fighting against my urge to think about a way for Rob Manfred to fuck this up, but it's a good thing. And as long as things like the Players Alliance continue to grow and have the respect from MLB to affect change, I think that it's good for those two things to work in tandem. Um, I obviously think that a lot more could be done at the youth level. Um, but if Ken Griffey Jr. is going to put that into action from his position of power in the commissioner's office, then... I will full-throatedly support that because Ken Griffey Jr. is awesome. And he obviously has an incredible perspective that he should bring to the commissioner's office. And the commissioner should listen to that. Should feel honored to, that Ken Griffey Jr. even wants to join the team, you know? Yeah, like you said, I'm fighting the urge to think how how they will mess this up, right? You know, like, is this let's let the kids play t- 2.0? I don't think it will be. I think it would be great to see Griffey serve as maybe a, a bridge between the Players Alliance and the Commissioner's Office, or to actually dedicate focus to amateur level baseball. I don't know what his focus was going to be. Again, all of this is incredibly vague, and we may not see the the fruits of his labor for years. Um, but dude, uh, dude certainly knows what the game needs. And it was ahead of the curve on that. So, Do you know what the next step needs to be, though? And this is the last thing I'll say on this because we've got to get out of here. But the, the next step on this needs to be from the commissioner's office. Whether it's Ken Griffey Jr. coming out and saying something like this, whether it's put into practice, or whether it's a shift in policy, we need to hear MLB thinks perfect game is bad for its sport. And until we hear that, Stuff like that is not going anywhere until the commodification of youth baseball by things like Perfect Game are persona non grata from the league level, from the MLB level. It's just going to continue on the same way that it always has because Perfect Game is bad for the sport. It's bad for the sport and it's a necessary evil for a lot of kids to participate in it. So I'm not even blaming kids who do go to these Perfect Game showcases or whatever. But it's all it's all types of showcases, it's not just perfect game. It's all of the expensive travel ball, all of the AAU tournaments that are exclusionary. Until MLB comes out and is like, yo, this shit is not cool. It doesn't fly. Stop doing it. Then I to me, this is all just like trading PR statements. Yeah. I I'm really pessimistic about MLB admitting that in like the next 20 years. You know, because it's so instrumental to development right now. It is essentially a 
unofficial arm of Major League Baseball, right? And part of the development pipeline. So until there is something else that comes up to take its place that is maybe more equitable to where it's pulling its kids from, I don't foresee that happen. I I I I think it's more likely that we start to see um, increased scholarships, increased like financial assistance for kids to participate in this, right? I think it's more likely that baseball says, okay, how can we get more kids into this pipeline rather than saying, how can we redefine what the pipeline looks like, right? Like I've never known Major League Baseball to be incredibly creative about their solutions. Pitch clock. We don't have the time for me to and that to analyze whether or not from a structural level we should be talking about rooting out pipelines or whether we right. should be talking about getting people into the pipelines in a more equitable way because obviously you and I think it's much more structurally significant to say to hell with the pipelines let's blow it up and start a new system this would be like if elite expensive inst- college institutions just decided that they were just going to hand out a couple more token scholarships as opposed to making their tuition price a more accessible price point. Like these are these are things that need to change on a structural level. But all I'm saying is until we turn the ship around, we're going in the wrong direction and we're not going to turn the ship around until MLB is like, "Hey, perfect game is a thing that's is a thing that is jeopardizing the accessibility of this sport in our country." Something as simple as that because it is. I mean, I think if you're paying attention to this sort of thing, you know how hard it is to get to perfect game and you know that only certain people get to it and a lot of people get excluded from it. Yeah, man. So Ken Griffey Jr., open line. Come on the pod. Let's talk Let's talk travel baseball, baby. I would love to. Um, okay, there's some shenanigans back and forth between the MLBPA and MLB about expanded playoffs. I think that as of as of the time of recording... The latest offer from MLB is 154 games, expanded playoffs, full salaries. But none of this has been agreed to, and we will have plenty of time to discuss it when it does get agreed to or when there is a counter from the Players Association. So um, just know that we did not completely ignore that element of all of this. The only thing I want to say on this is it's incredibly insulting for Major League Baseball to propose that the season be pushed back a month, the start of the season be pushed back a month, like a week, a week and a half before players would in theory start reporting to spring training. Once again, Major League Baseball thinks that it can just make these kind of unilateral changes at the 11th hour without actually considering that, I don't know, people have to make plans. Like people have families, people have to buy plane tickets, people, and like major leaguers, are going to be impacted by this, but minor leaguers whose financial um, security security is already up in the air. I mean, this is once again, an incredibly tone deaf move. And I also think that another tone deaf element of this is that MLB continues to tout. We'll pay you your full salaries as like, as anything other than the norm. Right. Exactly. That's not, uh, like using it as favor. a bargaining a, chip. It's yeah. not a concession. It's just what you agreed to. Yeah. So I don't know. I, we're certainly not going to get on here and be the type of media to be like, well, both sides are shitty and both sides are annoying and gross. Because if you're doing that, you're lazy. Hell yeah. You're just not paying attention. 
You just want to watch baseball and not think about anything else. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's it for this week. Like I said, new segment, open season. Please call the voicemail. We will play your voicemail and we will talk about your team every week going forward until we don't get calls or we don't have time to do it. <laughs> Should and if you're a listener and you want to make us like a like a theme song, you know, but like, oh, like yeah. I think we need like a Cars for Kids esque song for a you know seven eight five. Four no, no, two stop, two. Stop! Stop! Please stop! Please stop! Five. I will. I will eight, also eight, say, if you don't want to call and you don't want to have your voicemail played on the show, but you're still interested in participating, you can just send us an email at tippingpitchespod at gmail.com and I will make Alex read it in whatever dramatic voice you specify in that email. Yeah. Um, or you can send us a a voice note via the email, and we'll play that one on the pod any way that you see fit. To get your question or your complaint or your concern here on Tipping Pitches, we're here for you. Again, this is just us opening the pipeline to you, the listeners, to to please send us your ideas. I mean, it's our it's our desperate plea to get more listener engagement. Next next step is going to be us saying, "DM your address, and we'll come through with a microphone." <laughs> uh, we will not be doing that. But we will be returning Not next until Monday the pandemic's with, over. At least. Yeah, exactly. Of course, and uh, 95 masks only. Uh, we will not be doing that, showing up to your doorstep. But we will. We will be returning with a podcast in your feeds next Monday. Please tell a friend, rate and review, um, or reach out to us with any questions or concerns. Thanks, y'all. Everybody. Uh, I'm Alex Rodriguez. Tipping pitches. This is the one that I love the most. So we'll see you next week. See ya!